Tony, do something terrible. That is the stone. Shut up and sit down, you big bald. So what should I call you? You can call me Susan if it makes you happy. I don't care if it's Muhammad, Imad, Bruce Lee. You're going down in the fourth round. Whoops. We're back, people. We've made it to a handful because this is the fifth episode of Movie for Two. Welcome. I'm Tim Collins, and with me is someone who secretly wishes that one day she too will have a son who wins her a caravan, Danny Lee. <laughs> I could really do with a caravan. I like to camp, so that's good. How are you? I'm really excited to talk about this. I absolutely love this movie. Me too. I absolutely love it. Um, and obviously, there's a, a little bit of a degree of timing here uh, in our choice, given that Snatch is directed by Guy Ritchie, who currently has a new movie out right now which is called The Gentleman so with Richie sort of going back to his directorial roots in sort of that London-based crime scene with The Gentleman what better time to sort of you know dive into one of his truly iconic movies that sort of kicked it all off for him in Snatch. I love Guy Ritchie's movies so I'm very excited to go down and see this in the cinema and I think all our listeners should definitely do the same thing. Absolutely. So before we get into the nitty-gritty of uh, Snatch, I'll just hit a few dot points if that's okay with you. Absolutely. So it was released in Australia on the 9th of November in 2000. Just didn't realise it was that old actually, to be honest. 20 years. Yeah. Oh, maybe we timed that well too. Mm-hmm. Uh, stars Brad Pitt, Jason Statham, Vinnie Jones, Benicio Del Toro, Frank Farina, Alan Ford, Lenny James, Vinnie G, plus a whole bunch of others. Yep. Uh, this movie, as we've said, written and directed by the awesome Guy Ritchie, also known for Lockstock, Who Smoking Barrels, Rock and Roller, Sherlock Holmes, uh, The Man from Uncle, and as we said, The Gentleman. So this movie, it had a budget of around $10 million and made $83 million. And now it's kind of a bit of a cult classic, you know, it's got quite a good following. And that's sort of reflected in the IMDb score because that's 8.3 out of 10. Very high. Pretty good. So uh, do you want to give me your overall take on this movie? So I have a couple of takes on it that I want to run by. Are you cool for me to go with more than one? Absolutely. So my first is that I think this is a, a great example of how well a movie can stand the test of time when a director has sort of spent time crafting and sort of perfecting a very particular recipe. Mm. So like a couple of years before this, right, you got Guy Ritchie had his directorial debut with Lockstock, which was like pretty explosive at the time. And, it, you know, that was pretty well uh, received. It was critically acclaimed. And then he comes out with Snatch two years later, which was also well received, but sort of came with the caveat that it was kind of Lockstock revisited and almost regurgitated. It's kind of the same world, the same theme, the sort yeah. of the, the whole same recipe done again. So I understand that criticisms and sort of particularly in the moment when it can sort of can feel like a director is sort of showing himself maybe as a bit of a one trick pony or maybe it's perceived that way. But then sort of the further you get away from the release of the movie, and that's as we said before, 20 years ago now, mm. you sort of just don't care about that sense of similarity anymore. Instead, you sort of like, you kind of appreciate that a director sort of got two cracks at perfecting the same thing and then kind of managed to do so and left you with this awesomely and unbelievably entertaining movie that's sort of a slightly better version of the thing that came before it. That is such a good point. And actually, I was thinking the same thing because when I watched this movie for the first time, 
I had never heard of Lockstock, like in 2000, I guess, or sort of early high school. And I watched Snatch because I just watched Thelma and Louise for the first time. Oh, yeah. So I was on a Brad Pitt like train. If you've ever seen Thelma and Louise, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, but the style in which Richie shoots this and like, yeah, his kind of aesthetic that he's created is so memorable that you want to go back and watch it again and again because there's so much going on. And it's just, it's like frantic and entertaining and I just love it. And he built that. That sort of aesthetic and that sort of uh, the way he shoots things in a very sort of frantic, uh, very fast paced uh, sort of high voltage is a word I heard termed for. And that's yeah, I, I like, like that. I, I really do like that. And so he developed that in Lock Stock, and then he brought that into this. But I think that this is it's funnier than Lock Stock. I think it moves faster than Lock Stock. I think it's more enta- entertaining, sorry, and more engaging. And so it's sort of I think it's sort of interesting. It says something interesting about the way that movies can age and how our sort of perception of them shifts sort of as we go. So that's my first take. Can I give you my second one? Absolutely. Go for it. So I think that this style of movie is consistently the most entertaining style there is. Now, just before you jump in there, let me explain what I'm trying to say here. (laughs) I'm not saying that like sort of specifically sort of complex and crazy crime films set in sort of damp London represent the best style there is. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) What I am saying is that I think there's a sort of stripped back edge to this, which is sort of where this falls stylistically, right? So this is quite lean. It's rapid, as we said before. It's to the point. There's no filler. There's no like huge budget CGI. There's no sort of like hard to grasp new dimensions or ideas that you need to wrap your head around. It's kind of basically like Brad Pitt's body in this movie. It's ripped and nothing (laughs) unnecessary. And so... Like, as we were watching this before, I sort of started thinking about how, like, unreal it was to see something recently like John Wick when it arrived. Because, in a way, John Wick sort of goes back to the fundamentals of this. It's sort of stripped back and then delivers you something that's really, really forceful that's also been reduced to its complete essentials. And for me, that's what Snatch is. And I think that that style of movie is consistently the most entertaining style that there is. Yeah, because it's kind of like Oceans, which came not long after it in a way. It's just like one heist, but there's so much other thing, other stuff going on around it that it's just entertaining the whole way through and you don't need to overcomplicate it. You can flesh out and make it more fun with all the other things going on around it. So obviously our podcast is called Movie for Two. What about Snatch makes it a movie for two in your eyes? Mostly it's a movie for two, movie for two, because you need someone else to translate for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially the first time you watch it. I think I watched it with subtitles, to be honest. But you need to be able to sit there with someone else and be like, did you get that? And did you understand who that person is with that? And so it's like a fun movie to watch together and kind of figure out together as well. So I don't think it's unfair to say that many will get right into this because Brad Pitt spends a lot of time with his shirt off. <laughs> And that's been a, a draw card for a bunch of movies for a couple of decades now. And as you were saying before, right around this sort of time, around the sort of turn of the century, mm-hmm. Brad Pitt with his shirt off was a very regular thing in movies. <laughs> and sort of off the back of what I was saying earlier, I think there's also a very sort of a very particular age of uh, age group of guys, kind of like me, who will sort of lap up the sort of raw, mean, sort of comedy speckled street violence of this. So there's sort of a, you know, there can be a bit of an element for everyone there. But I think more than that, it's just the sheer comedy of this movie that makes it, for me, a, a movie for two. I think, like, we watched it again and we just genuinely laughed out loud the whole way through. Like, the dialogue is unbelievable right from the beginning. Like, like when sort of Turkish is talking to Tommy about needing a new caravan to run their illegal <laughs> boxing business out of. Look at it. How am I supposed to run this thing from that? We're going to need a proper office. I want a new one, Tommy. 
You're going to buy it for me. Why me? Well, you know about caravans. How's that? You spent a summer in one, which means you know more than me. And I don't want to have my pants pulled down over the price. What's wrong with this one? Oh, nothing, Tommy. It's tip top. It's just I'm not sure about the colour. <laughs> As he's pulling the door off the caravan. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, let's save some of the dialogue later for Lingo Bingo because I think that's going to be a bloody good segment on this occasion. Well, you can see why he was kind of called the Quentin Tarantino, the British Quentin Tarantino when he came out because it's so much about the dialogue between these characters. And the same aesthetic and all of that mm. as well. So first segment is Perfection Imperfection, which is where we dive into things that for one reason or another were perfect and then other things which for one reason or another were not so perfect. Perfection, what do you want to kick us off with? Well, as the credits roll in and you see, start seeing all the characters' names, so it's actually a few minutes into the film when you start seeing all the characters like the sort of still shot and you've got Frankie Four Fingers, you've got Bullet Tooth, Tooth Tony, Boris the Blade. I had this as well. Did you have just all, just all their names? It's just ridiculous. Yeah. And so you're sitting there going, oh, God, this is going to be so confusing. Yeah, I just want to run through a, like a few more of them <laughs> while you're on it. So you've got Bricktop, Turkish, Doug the Head, Jack the All-Seeing Eye, Mad Fist Willie, John the Gun, Horace Goodnight Anderson, and definitely my favourite of all, the putridly ugly, Gorgeous George. Gorgeous George. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. But what I love about it is that you're not really confused like throughout the movie because they keep using each other's names in the dialogue, which I love because you always know who they're talking to at any moment. So one of the things that I had for perfection, which it goes back a little bit to what I was saying before, but I think the sort of the world that Guy Ritchie is able to create in this in this movie, we've sort of got this like fictional London, which is populated by mob bosses and murderous crooks and pathetic thieves. It's sort of, it's totally absurd, but you buy into it immediately anyway. Mm. And there's sort of that like raw and lean feeling of everything I was talking about before, that there's not this sort of peripheral stuff that you've sort of got to try and get your head around too much. You've just got this sort of grimy sort of crime scene in London. And in a way, it actually reminds me a lot of Pulp Fiction, where you sort of had that sort of mythical but sort of morally bankrupt sort of LA mm. that's just full of chaos. And I felt this sort of brings a little bit of that to uh, to this particular story. And I think it's portrayed absolutely perfectly in this. Yeah, I must say I've never seen a pig farm in London though. Yeah, that's a very true point. <laughs> Maybe that's jumping ahead to imperfection. What else have we got? Uh, the first time you meet Tyrone, the driver, the the, the rally driver in quotes. <laughs> it's, it's quite a big guy. The big guy who's yep. driving Vinny and Soul. So they've been asked, they've been paid to go and rob the bookies. And there's like a whole, I don't even know how long that scene goes for, but when they're driving in the car and you've just got this great interaction between these three characters and she's like, I mean, again, there's so much dialogue in these scenes that you're just hilarious, which I don't want to go into right now but I just love like there's the dog in there and that's got the squeaky toy and it swallows it the whole segment I just love and then he gives it the hey what I thought you said he was a getaway driver what the fuck can he get away from me <laughs> so good yeah I love it. he's like don't let that dog dribble on my seats your seats Tyron this is a stolen car mate <laughs> <laughs> it's so good I, I... <laughs> Sort of, I had a, a similar thing, not so specific to that particular scene, but I just thought that the totally sort of 
unhinged Britishness of the humor in this is is unreal. So you and I, we've lived there. We lived in London for a long time. The humor in London is totally different to what it is in Australia and even other parts of England. And I think it's really, really well depicted in this. And I think particularly in the interactions between Turkish and Tommy. Oh, yeah. So when you get the uh, – Tommy's holding the gun. He's, he's got the gun in his belt. And Turkish <laughs> goes, fuck me. Hold tight. What's that? It's me belt, Turkish. No, Tommy. There's a gun in your trousers. What's a gun doing in your trousers? It's for protection. Protection from what? The Germans. <laughs> Every time he does the Germans. <laughs> and then when they're sitting in the car, the, the well, the truck, yeah. the, sort of like later on in the movie, and he's uh, Turkish then starts drinking a sort of chocolate milk. Chocolate milk. <laughs> and Tommy starts giving him a lecture on why chocolate milk isn't good for humans because <laughs> he thinks... Cows have only been domesticated in the last 8,000 years. Before that, they were running around as mad as lorries. The human digestive system hasn't got used to any dairy products yet. Well, fuck me, Tommy. What have you been reading? <laughs> it's just gold. There's even when you meet uh, when you meet B- Bullet Tooth Tony for the first time and he's like slamming this guy's head in a, like a car door and then he answers the phone, Bonjour. <laughs> It's just so out of place. So I had that as a as, as another thing that I felt was perfect is that in addition to the the super Londonness of this and the the comedy in this, I think they do a really really that sorry they make a really strong point of having these sort of overtly ridiculous comical elements that are sort of like deliberately placed in scenes. It's like it's super funny anyway. But then you get these like little side pieces of a scene that they sort of give it another layer and another little sort of uh, another little thing to laugh at. So I'll give you an example. It's like at the start, the sausage guy, when they're having the argument about the caravan. Yes. <laughs> and he goes, uh, how long until they're done? And he goes, two minutes. <laughs> and then five minutes later he goes, how long till they're done? Five minutes. Goes, Hang on. Wasn't it two minutes, five minutes ago? And it just, there's like an absurdity to that humor that adds to the scene. And then you've got it in like... Some some other little bits as well. So when Frankie Fourfingers is trying on the suits and he's on the phone, and then every time the camera switches back to him in the room, he's wearing a different suit. Yeah. So you've got this like rapid fire. <laughs> he's in like four or five different suits in the space of like 10 seconds. I think this is the first time that you and I noticed that because we both turned to each other like, did you just, oh, yeah, was that intentional? <laughs> yeah. And then you've, and then there's other little ones where you've got like the twin daughters of the diamond jeweler who consistently take the piss out of their dad. Yeah in this sort of really sort of like roll their eyes at dad kind of way, yeah. which is sort of tonally sort of out of whack with the rest of the movie. But it's sort of, it's, it's sort of what I get back to is like, there's that ridiculous element to every scene. And mm. then there's that other one where you've got the shootout scene in, in the pub, in the, the, the hallway of the pub later on. Mm-hmm. And uh, Vinnie Jones <laughs> shoots Boris the blade like 40 times. He still keeps talking. <laughs> That made me think of Austin Powers so much. It's like, I'm not dead yet. And so I think there's a sort of, there's like this overt comedy thing that's in every scene that really, really complements the, the, like the brilliantly sort of British and London sort of comedy element to it. So I absolutely love that. I really missed, yeah, that was definitely a good thing to be watching today. I was like, oh, I love that humour. It's so fun and so dry a lot of the time. What else have you got? But that, going to that Boris bit where he's dying in the in the, in the hallway, if he's even dead, he's probably still alive to be honest. But they never show anyone actually getting killed. Like the, anyone who dies is sort of off screen at the time. Yeah, you're right. It's not very gruesome. Yeah, it, it could be a really, really bloody 
yeah. violent film this and it's sort of it's all a lot of the violence is suggested rather than actually shown. Yeah, there's a bit of blood and gore and there's like, you know, dogs in cages and that kind of violence but you never actually see them fighting. So I guess the like the climax, which is the boxing match at the end, is the most violent it really gets. Which gives it a really, really good balance. Mm. I think it's not this sort of like blood fest that you've sort of got to sit through and it's like oh, this, this is tough work. You know, mm. this is a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a chore getting through all of this. Exactly. It's actually got a really, really nice balance about it. That's what I, that's definitely something that I found really perfect about it. One of the other things that I had was just, and it was my final thing of total perfection is the music in this is unbelievable. The soundtrack is just, it's so all over the place. And yet somehow it's so perfect at the same time. It hasn't aged at all. No. So you get some sort of like gentle sort of English punk rock from a band called The Stranglers. And then you've got this like heavy driving electro at one point from a, I think he's known, he's a DJ known as The Overseer. I looked that up before. And then at one point you get some sort of like a bit of funk and soul, like that tracks from uh, Maceo and the Max. And then I can hear it in my head now, actually. Yeah. And then there's Oasis with fucking in the bushes. I looked up that song too. And I was like, whoa, what a title. And so the music just goes all over the place. It's so random and it pulls you in so many different moods and so many different paces. And it goes back to the way that Richie films this in that very frantic way that you never really pause in any one area of the movie for more than really a minute or two. The whole thing keeps moving really fast. And the music does that with you as well and takes you through so many different tempos and somehow that comes together to create this extremely like memorable music experience. I think that's absolutely incredible for this and I I think it's absolutely perfect in this movie. It really feeds into how there are so many different characters and I think it also has a lot to do like like I said before, you don't actually see anyone dying on screen because that's a slow moment in a movie that would be so – it would pause you for too long. That's true. It's so like it we keeps can't moving, even, yeah. Yeah, so the music and the pace of switching between the storylines and the characters really keeps you up. Have you got anything else for perfection? I do. Uh, how good no, – I, I didn't even think – like I, I'm amazed at myself for saying this, but Bricktop describing how one might dispose of a body. Oh, it's so good. It's like, – mesmerizing watching him his eyes are so wide <laughs> well they've got those glasses on that sort of accentuate it and then he goes into his monologues it's absolutely incredible it's like apparently the best thing to do is to cut up the corpse into six pieces and pile it all up together and you're like oh my god then i hear the best thing to do is feed them to pigs you've got to starve the pigs for a few days then the sight of a chopped up body will look like curry to a piss head You've got to shave the heads of your victims and pull the teeth out for the sake of the piggy's digestion. You could do this afterwards, of course, but you don't want to go sieving through pig shit now, do you? They will go through bone like butter. And then he comes back from it and he goes, (laughs) well, thanks for that. And then he goes something along the lines of, but who the fuck are you? (laughs) They don't look terrified one bit. What else have you got? I also love uh, the – I'm just pulling out all these scenes here uh, – the bit where everyone's trying to get to the Russian, which is the bit we meant with the chocolate milk flying onto the windshield and then I think it's Vinnie driving – Vinnie Jones driving the car at that point point. Yep. and they crash and the guy in the back seat who has a samurai sword. Yes, goes through him. <laughs> yes. And then because the other car uh, – is it Vinnie and Sol? They'd – the other Vinnie – uh, they'd like blown the windows out so they're arguing and then they hit the Russian <laughs> straight over his bonnet. I'm just like, you don't really know where you are, but it's just so hilarious. Yeah, I love it. Did you have anything else for Perfect? 
Uh, I want to move on to imperfection, but before we do, time for a quick break. Hey guys, just a super quick break to let you know about how you can help out the podcast if you're enjoying it so far. If you're on Apple Podcasts, we'd love if you left us a rating and a review while you're there. Every bit of feedback is really appreciated and obviously it helps to make us more discoverable for new listeners. Also, make sure you're following us on Instagram at movie2podcast, or one word. It's already a really fun account with plenty of great movie stuff like trivia and quotes and key questions like, what's the best Guy Ritchie movie? You already know our pick. The Instagram account is also where you'll get all of our updates, news about the podcast, and a look at how we do it all. So head to at movie2podcast on Instagram and get following. And now, back to the pod. Okay, we're back. So imperfection, I think that this is quite challenging for this particular movie because I think the way that this comes together is is just incredible. I also think that this is a super... It's a super tight movie, as I was saying before. There's sort of almost nothing that's unnecessary. It's sort of, you don't sort of feel as though there's these sort of like 20-minute lulls where you sort of like could have done without that bit. Mm, this agreed. movie doesn't have that at all. However, I do feel that from a first watch perspective, now I'm trying to remember what it was like for me to watch this on a you know that, that first viewing in comparison to this, which was probably my fourth or fifth time when we've just watched it most recently. I think that the sort of the sheer multitude of plot lines in that first watch can mean it's not as enjoyable that first time round in compa- in comparison to the way it is on in on uh, on repeat viewings i sort of it's kind of a plot that needs sort of multiple goes i think mm. and it almost feels like i mean sometimes you're watching it and you're like is guy Ritchie like deliberately being sort of difficult to follow just to sort of his own kicks or maybe to sort of, you know, de- demonstrate how smart he is or how great he can do the script writing, but he's sort of almost laughing at you at your inability to keep up? Yeah, I don't know how he expected the audience, if he did expect them to follow along the first time or if maybe that's what he was trying to do is to give the audience a movie that they could watch over and over and still enjoy rather than a, oh, you've spoiled the ending now and you don't ever need to watch it again. And potentially maybe the, the sort of the plot isn't the total point. Sometimes it's about the the style and the way it's delivered and the music and the impact of it and the whole world and the scene that's cr- the, the sort of the, the, the scenes that are created are sort of maybe more important than the plot in his eyes maybe. Yeah, because I don't watch it for the plot. Like every other time I've watched it hasn't been for the plot. It's been like, oh, that was a funny movie to watch. Let's just chuck that on. Yeah. And see if we can interpret more of the lines this time. What have you got for imperfection? Well, when Vinny, this is a very specific thing. When Vinny and Sol have the diamond, so they're in their, back in their shop. Yep. And they're telling Boris that they want half of what the diamond's worth. And then they go back into the room and then the diamond's in the case. Yeah. And they're like, and then so, uh, what's his name? Boris kills the kills Frankie. Yeah. And they're like, he's the only guy who knows the code to the case. And so the, they've got, they had the diamond out and now they don't have the diamond out. And then Boris just pulls out a machete and chops his arm off. <laughs> Is there some sort of like transition that we missed there? <laughs> I don't know. I really am not sure. But I was also shocked by someone just carrying around a machete in their belt because that seems dangerous. Yeah. it's. Um, I mean, I mean, he's called Boris the Blade. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or the bullet dodger. Yeah, the bullet dodger. <laughs> Why is he the bullet dodger? Because he dodges bullets, Avi. <laughs> Such simple humour. So one of the other things that I had for imperfection, and this is more putting on my sort of 2020 hat, sort of 20 years on from this, and the way that sort of we have different sort of understandings of the way things that can be interpreted, and, and we're, we tend to be a little bit more sensitive about topics now than we were in 2000. Mm-hmm. And I sort of think that there's a sort of a constant sort of language where sort of anything derogatory is said in female terms. 
So there's a lot of particularly Bricktop's uh, character Mm -hmm. where he's often calling Tommy a she and pull your lady friend back and all of that. And it's sort of like any sign of weakness goes back to being a fairy and being a woman and, and, and all of that. And like, I know that this film is trying to sort of depict tough and rough gangsters and all of that. And that's part of the way that they speak. And I get all of that. It's just that when you watch this in 2020 in comparison to watching it in 2000, that does jar a little bit. That's a very good observation. I hadn't quite noticed that. I did notice the fact that there are only three women in the film. Wow. Two of them are twins and just say one line three times, like the exact same line. Yeah. Yes, dad, you told us. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so, and I'm like, and then there's the ma and that's it. So there's no other female character. I did pick that up. Anything else for imperfection? I don't fully understand why Bricktop openly announces in the at the fight to like four people or something that Mickey's going down the fourth. Like I, I know I'm not a betting person, but also if you're telling uh, numerous people that, aren't they going to win more money than you're putting in? Yeah, I, I also think it's sort of it would be something you would have sort of disclose, uh, disclosed. Sorry. In private. Yeah, not sort of basically shouted out rather loudly <laughs> in front of four men who were sort of stood in front of a whole bunch of other men. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. And like the um, Tommy and Turkish aren't cheering on Mickey, you know, to punch. Like it's just all very like this is all so obvious that it's rigged and how is no one else noticing this in the room? <laughs> Did you have anything else? No. So I want to get to Lingo Bingo because this is this is an absolute humdinger on this occasion. Oh, yeah. So, Lingo Bingo, uh, as uh, listeners who've uh, followed us so far, it's basically we have three categories that relate to language, and if we get all three of them, we get Lingo Bingo. So Bingo. the first of those is killer dialogue. The second of those is lovable jargon. And then the third is lines and phrases that have entered everyday language. Now, so far in our movies that we've covered in Home Alone, Love Actually, Mad Max Fury Road, and A Star Is Born, we're yet to get Bingo. Yeah. Two of three is as good as we've got. On this occasion... The killer dialogue is rather easy to fill up. <laughs> I have pages and pages of dialogue. What's your first? Uh, we've covered a few of them already, like uh, Turkish and Tommy, but there's like a bit before even the sausage bit and the caravan, you know, the door falling off. He's like, Tommy's looking at the boxer in the ring saying, is he allowed to do that? Turkish says, it's an unlicensed boxing match, not a tickling competition. Is it so- <laughs> I can't do it in the accent, so I'm not even going to try. There's so many of those little bits where they're, they're, it's that uh, London humour that gets brought out, whereas yeah. it's sort of like you point the ridiculousness of what's being said and then draw an insane comparison. Yeah. Uh, there's it's like, there's another one where he goes, it's not a can of baked beans, is it, when they're talking about trying to open up the dog? Open the dog. There's so many of those little lines in it. It's yeah. great. Um, what else have you got? I absolutely love... Uh, Cousin Avi's line when he's on the phone and he's trying to talk about that he's going to go to to London. And so he hears that they've got the diamond that's worth the, the all, all that money. 86 carats. Where? London. 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 London? Yes, London. You know, fish, chips, cup of tea, bad food, worse weather, Mary fucking Poppins, London. <laughs> Such a good little bit of dialogue. Have you got another one? Uh, the whole bit with Tyrone. <laughs> He's done a rally driving course, haven't you, Tyrone? Of course I have. I don't want that. <laughs> it's just so good. So this is, he stole on a car. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> I don't want that dog, dog dribbling on my seats. Your seats. Tyrone, this is a stolen car, mate. While I'm at the wheel, it's my car. <laughs> and 
then when he's trying to like park it in that wide open space, like why are we stopped here? What's wrong with that spot? It's too tight. Too tight. You could land a jumbo fucking jet in that. <laughs> he's a natural, ain't you, Tyrone? Of course I am. <laughs> he backs into the van. Natural fucking idiot. <laughs> it's behind you, Tyrone. Whenever you reverse, things come at you from behind. <laughs> <laughs> I love that whole bit of dialogue too. It's it's so good. There's it, so much of it. So I think we can safely tick off killer dialogue. There's so much of it in this. So that gives us. Uh, can I do one more? Okay, go I on. I love this one. Yeah. Has he got a tea cozy on his head for? <laughs> to keep his head warm. What's the matter with him? He's been shot in the face, Lincoln. I would have thought that was obvious. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to do that one. It's okay. It's so good. <laughs> tea cozy. So much tea reference in this movie. Well, it is London. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is England. <laughs> so moving on to lovable jargon. Now, in our other films, this has been quite difficult because of the fact that sort of not many of them have gone really deep into the sort of nitty gritty of a topic. Now, this doesn't either in terms of it doesn't sort of go like deep dive in the way like you know big short or something like that goes into all the financials or something Mm. like that this doesn't however i think this can pass because cockney rhyming slang and general english slang for a huge portion of the audience that watches this will be jargon yeah do you have a few examples so mustard is good porky pies lies black stuff is guinness yep clocked means to be seen and then they use the term Jacobs and minerals to talk about balls. <laughs> oh, I didn't even pick that up. <gasps> okay. Yeah. Well, I, I actually thought we passed on this too because I had uh, coursing, which is the thing where they let the hair go, the rabbit, and yeah. the dogs chase it. Yeah. Like, so that actually has to be explained in the movie because it's so ridiculous. And then blagged was another bit of slang. Yeah, and that's when Avi's like, um, can can someone in this country speak English? Yeah. I heard you guys invented the language and I'm yet to hear anyone use it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think I, we pass. I think we get through on lovable jargon, which Two out of three. takes us to <laughs> lines and phrases that have entered everyday language. Now, this is not something where you've got a – I think in Home Alone there was, you know, we had like, you know, Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas, you're filthy. filthy animals. You know, and, that, and that's and that been printed on jumpers and all sorts of stuff for all eternity. Mm-hmm. This doesn't have anything to quite that extent. However, I'm interested in getting our first bingo. Yes, I must. Too. I must say that I'm, I have a vested interest in this succeeding. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to have to scrap the whole thing. I reckon that there's one line in this that counts and it's when Mickey – which is Brad Pitt's character, obviously, when they're talking about the caravan, and he goes, "That's for me, ma." <laughs> you what? That's for me, ma. You what? Me ma. His ma. <laughs> and they all chime in. <laughs> I think that counts because I know so many blokes that use that whenever they're talking about their mum. If it was for Christmas presents, if it was for for whatever, <laughs> I worked with blokes that would say it. They'd be like, "Oh, I have to go out and get a Christmas present today." You know, this, that, and the other. I'm heading down to Meyer or, or whatever. Were these but, British blokes or Aussie blokes? Aussie blokes. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And they'd be like, that's for me, ma. <laughs> All right. Let's give it a pass because I want bingo. Bingo, bingo. <laughs> so our next segment is Danny's awesomely named one, which is? Name that bitch. Quick explainer. I took it from an episode of How I Met Your Mother where Lily points to a photograph and asks Ted to name a girl he dated. And so with uh, these movies, we've been asking each other if they recognise an actor 
and they can name them and or anything else they've been in. Okay. So can I go first? Yes. So he's the the character uh, mullet. So he's the one on the street. With the tie. Yeah, with the tie. Who, so <laughs> Vinnie Jones approaches him in the car and then pulls him in, in the window with, yeah. with his tie after commenting on his tie and then goes, it's quite ironic that this tie has sort of got you into this <laughs> sticky situation. Yes. I... You barely even see his face because it's squished in a door. But So no ideas? I have no idea who he is. But also before that, I thought that they were like pissing up against a wall. It does look a bit dodgy, yeah. Yeah, but no, I have no idea who he is. So that's you and Bremner, who's Spud from Trainspotting. Oh, yes. He is. Yes. Oh, my God. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's in all sorts. Of, he's been in like Black Hawk yeah, Down yeah, yeah. and a whole I, bunch of others. But I can see that completely. Good call. Yeah. But uh, when I was watching it, that like, and I've seen Train Spotting. Yeah. It just went totally past me until yeah. I did a little bit of digging around, a little bit of research. I was like, oh, maybe some obscure characters. Who are they? Yeah. That's a good. One. Does he have less hair in Train Spotting? Yeah, because I'm. Got yeah, bald? yeah. Yeah. So in this, he's kind of got this sort of like little almost comb over job yeah. going on. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Okay, mine is quite one of the main characters. It's Boris the Bullet Dodger or Boris, Boris the, the Blade. Blade. Mm. <laughs> Do you know who he is or if he's been anything else? Oh, he his, his name's on the IMDb, uh, IMDb page that I was looking up before. Yeah. Is it like Gave or Gabe? Or... Oh, do you know what? I actually didn't even write down his actual name because I was like, I'm not going to be able to spell it, but it was like Reed or something, like R-E-D-E. Okay, good, good research this, but... <laughs> I don't know what else he's been in. Okay. Well, that's the main part of it. Okay. What um, else? He's in Mission Impossible 2. You know the one that starts in Sydney? Yeah. Well, I mean, it ends in Sydney too. Well, he's in the first like 15 minutes. Is he? Yeah. He's like the scientist guy. Oh, I've watched guy. that a lot of times yeah. because that was one of those ones that I had on like a, a VHS that was recorded off like Channel 10 or something <laughs> back in the day. Well, maybe you skip past that if you didn't get it to, like recorded in time. Yeah. He's, I would never have got that. He's also in Shooter. Oh, yeah, with uh, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So uh, next segment, moving on. Who could you be mates with? So if you were to lift a character out of this and plonk them in your real life, who Mm. could you be mates with? Well, originally I was going to say Turkish because he's just ridiculously hilarious. And sometimes he's a bit sensible, like he's slightly more sensible than a lot of the others. He's probably the least ridiculous character in the the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But I'd actually have to go for Tommy instead. Okay, why? Because he walks into the pokies, like everyone's – bashing the pokies up and he walks in there and stands there with a gun that he knows doesn't work and just, you know, he gets Turkish out of there. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's why they say he's got some Jacobs or some minerals. <laughs> you know he'd be shitting himself at that point though. So I had um, I had Boris the Blade. What? So l- let me tell you why. God, okay. So he dodges bullets, he gets hit by cars and survives and he takes like 20 bullets before you can kill him. <laughs> So I just want to say, imagine what he'd be like as a mate. And I was thinking specifically in the sports arenas. What he'd be like as a teammate on a team. In footy, you'd be like a human battering ram. You'd yep. just get behind him and run. Yep. In cricket, you'd send him in at the end of the day to face the last couple of overs when it's getting dark and the quickies are, are going in. Right? He wouldn't care. It all just bounces off him. No problem. And then any trouble at the pub later, you just send him in. He's indestructible. You've actually sold me on that. Not that I'm ever going to need someone to play cricket with, but okay. Yeah. Good one. So moving on to prequel, sequel, or spin-off. Of those, if there was to be one for Snatch, what would you like to see? I'd see a Tommy and Turkish spin-off. Okay. I'd like to see their adventures once they've got the dog and if they actually get the diamond or the money for the diamond. Uh, so not, no, actually, no, I don't want a sequel. I want a spin-off. 
Yeah, that's, I want, what, yeah that's, that's what you said. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then I said the diamond and after the diamond. But I don't care about that. Okay. I want to see like their other random adventures. Okay. Because they seem like the kind of guys that will just keep getting into these scuffles. So I also had a spin-off, but I chose uh, Cousin Avi. So he's the one that's based in New York, obviously, and he's the one that comes over to London. And then when he goes back, they're like, got any advice? And he's like, yeah, don't go to London. <laughs> so he's obviously got a bit of a, a dodgy operation over in New York in, in some way that's never really sort of shown. But obviously he's one of these criminals mm-hmm. and gangsters. And then he also has a presence in the London crime scene in, in this movie as well. So that feels like a pretty good, gritty sort of trans transatlantic crime story to me. <laughs> and you get like those good sort of uh, like culture clashes that you get in mob movies. You know how like sometimes it's sort of, it's the Irish versus the Italians or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah, this yeah. would be like the Londoners versus the New Yorkers. Like <laughs> that could be epic. And it's sort of, you know, a back and forth between and like, you know, he goes over there, tries and makes peace in London, goes back, rallies the troops in New York. And they said, you know, go, I think that could be a really, really good spinoff. And you know that he just drugs himself on the plane. So you wouldn't have to see the long journey part of the story. It's just bang, I'm out. Now I'm in London. And you get some killer lines <laughs> to go with it. Yeah. That's a good one. So that brings us to a close. Danny, thank you. Thank you. Everyone, if you've enjoyed this, please subscribe, tell your mates, leave us a rating and a review on Apple. And please, if you can, follow us on Instagram at Movie for Two Podcast. We've got all sorts of updates there. And we've also got a whole bunch of other episodes on the feed for you that we recommend that you check out if you haven't got to those now. We mentioned before we've got Home Alone, we've got Love Actually, both of those if you're still having the sort of lingering of a Christmas mood. Also Mad Max Fury Road and A Star Is Born. Obviously we've capped it off with Snatch and we'll be coming back next week. Till next time.